Greetings, everybody. Welcome to the Wind Up Podcast. I am your host, Mike of MTGA Wines, and welcome to the show. I think I already said that. I am a little bit scatterbrained today. Today, we got a great episode talking about uh, travel and kind of the life of wine sales out on the road. Uh, I just got back, actually, literally last night uh, from Nashville, uh, so my time zones are a little jacked up. Uh, But this is the reason why we're doing this episode. I actually had another episode scheduled. I went back, listened to the first like 10, 15 minutes of it, and I wasn't super stoked on where it was at. Uh, So we decided to put a pause on getting that posted, and I'd rather get, you know, what I think is a better episode out a day late rather than just pushing content that I'm not super pumped on uh, on our normal posting day, which is Wednesdays, which is when you can normally find the show. Uh, That topic will get tabled. We'll come back to it, I promise. I think I'm just going to have to re-record it, do something a little bit different. But with this last trip fresh in my mind, with actually doing a lot of work for our upcoming travel calendar, and kind of what this wine travel means to us as small brands, I really wanted to dive into it a little bit more, kind of how it happens, what it's all about, and why this is something that is important to little brands like ours. On top of that, I wanted to talk about a little bit more of the kind of broad scope industry impact that this is having, because this is something that has realistically started to revolutionize how people experience Napa wines. Um, I'm very lucky that I'm a part of probably the preeminent uh, travel group uh, with a handful of other wineries. We've been doing it longer and probably better than anyone else has, uh, bringing wine out and around the country. Some of you have been able to attend those events uh, with us. And I gotta say, it's this is stuff that is so, so important to us and probably something that you all don't get to really, I don't know, have the... Um, the perspective of why it's so important to us. Um, So I really want to try and convey that in this episode. Uh, Before we get too far into it, again, I always want to thank you all so much for tuning in, for downloading, for sharing, for liking. Uh, We've had just an amazing time doing these podcasts. Uh, There's a lot more to come. I'm going to try and get our first guest to join me uh, in next week's show. Hopefully, we're going to record that this weekend, which means you don't have to just listen to me. You can listen to someone else talk utter nonsense for 40 minutes or so. Uh, It'll be a really, really good time because I'm going to try and bring in a lot of different perspectives from in and around the wine business and just kind of the culture and scene that is Napa here. It's going to be very honest and upfront. Uh, We're probably going to have like a bottle of wine minimum. That way we're nice and loose as we're doing it. And we'll just see where the conversation takes us from there. So very excited to get that done. Uh, Be sure to like, follow, subscribe on all the social networks. It's just at MTGA Wines. That's on YouTube. That's on Instagram, the Book of Face, as well as the social network formerly known as Twitter. All those places are where you can find us. I have not done TikTok just yet, but maybe that comes down the pipeline. If I ever decide to be an actual influencer, my money is on no. But anyway, Mm. I am also, I do apologize, since I am just coming back from Nashville, it was a lot of late night honky tonking. I'm also in the wrong time zone currently, so I'm having a third cup of coffee this morning to keep me going. So if there's a brief pause in the action, you, I mean, if you've been listening for a while, you know how that goes. I'm a complete caffeine addict. That's what happens. All right, let's get into this, shall we? So 
again, kind of the reason for switching up the episode this week and diving into a topic that I initially wasn't planning on diving into. And many of you know that I kind of ad-libbed this a little bit as it is. I typically, on one computer screen next to me here, have like a few notes and like bullet points, and that's really about it. Most of this is just kind of a train of thought and just really trying to be honest and kind of upfront about where kind of these opinions and ideas come from. Uh, but when it's an important topic, I do try and have it kind of like buttoned up and, you know, ironed out a little bit more so that we can speak about it, you know, a little bit more intelligently than just, you know, ad-libbing as we go. But I thought this was a great time because it's so fresh of mind to dive into this travel side of things. Because it is something that has completely changed how a lot of our small businesses do our business. Uh, there's a prior episode that some of you may have listened to, you know, in regards to kind of like the wine business and the different sales channels that we rely on to stay in business. And you kind of have a few different segments. As a quick review, you have your traditional wholesale channel. This is, you know, wineries selling wines through distributors and into retail shops and restaurants. It's kind of the old school method of doing things. It's the try and true method. It's what the vast majority of people rely on for their wine sales. The most wine gets sold through that channel in some way, shape, or form. Number two, you really have what we call the direct-to-consumer channel, which is just the winery straight to your front door. Uh, that can be in the form of just ordering online. That could be in the form of a wine club or an allocation list, or perhaps you visited that winery and they're shipping you the wine that you had ordered from them. Uh, that all kind of gets lumped into that segment. The last one, and... I think has, you know, really the one that's become more and more important in the last 10 years for folks has been the travel and events side of things. Now, this kind of blends those first two together because there's plenty of travel that you do for the wholesale game. Uh, for those of you that don't know, a lot of times a salesperson or a winemaker, they end up working with those distributors and with those retail shops and restaurants one-on-one. -on -one. They'll fly out to whatever state they have representation in. They'll work the market and you know hit the pavement with a bag of wine behind them and just walk and drive around and hit different accounts, different retailers, different restaurants, and try and sell them on that wine. Or if they've been a great supporter of that wine, go out there, shake some hands, kiss some babies, maybe do a tasting event at that location, whatever the case may be. So there's always been kind of this travel mentality with that wholesale channel. Now with the direct consumer side of things, the same is also true, is that you have certain wineries that will go out on the road and host private events, private tastings around the country, whether that's at country clubs, whether that is at uh, private homes, you know, event spaces, whatever the case may be. So it does kind of split the difference, I guess, uh, between these two other things, because there's a lot that you can do on the road when people aren't necessarily making it out to Napa. And now for, I guess the main reason I really wanted to dive into this is because one of my best friends and I were talking a lot about this kind of onset of travel that's happened. You know, very luckily enough, uh, he and I, with a few others, uh, we started this travel group to do just that. We're all small brands. We're not really in that distribution world. We're more so focused on that direct world. And we were trying to get our wines in front of more people. Plain and simple. Whether that was current clients who have you know friends who are into wine or whether it's working with other wineries to be like, hey, if you like their wines, you might like these other wines as well, which is kind of the mentality that we took. So... Man, it must have been, I think, six or seven years ago now, we started traveling with a group of wineries to do these events around the country. Uh, quite a bit of fun. 
Uh, it, everyone, you know, invites their club members or allocation list members who are able to come out, you know, try a bunch of wines throughout the evening. And then, you know, after the fact, you know, if they're interested in purchasing, we help them get that all organized and whatnot as well. So a really great way to kind of cross pollinate, get to know other people, also see some of your own clients and friends around the country and kind of get after it. But the way that we talked about it was a little bit different. It wasn't so much about, hey, this has been a great avenue for us to get out and about and share our wines with people. It was like, how is this actually really impacting the world of wine and what is happening in and around Napa? And I've kind of tossed this idea by a few other people, and I don't think anyone else is on board with it just yet. But I'm kind of moving more and more this direction. And it is because more and more wineries are out on the road, whether it is for private events on the wholesale side of things, or maybe for charity auctions, uh, anything like the Nashville Wine and Food Auction, to the Tum Tum Tree Festival in Alabama, to uh, Shuttle Cork out in Kansas City. There, there's a lot of different events around the country that wineries are going to. And quite frankly, if we're going to be on the road, we let all of our clients know and say, hey, we're in the neighborhood. If you want to grab drinks or a dinner or, you know, put together your own event, let's figure it out. Let's figure out how we can make this kind of happen. That way we can maximize our time while we're out and about. It's just, you know, makes sense. And sometimes that snowballs on you. I think in April, I am not going to be home at all. I think I'm spending two full weeks in the great state of Missouri because Missouri loves company as it turns out and, you know, bouncing around the Midwest because it just, like I said, snowballed on me. And it's like, all right, we're going to be there for a couple of events. Let's see if there's anyone else who wants to try and put something together. And boom, here we are with a very full calendar come this spring. Great problem to have, not complaining whatsoever. But my buddy and I were talking about the idea this idea that with how slow Napa was in 2023 in terms of just tourism to the valley, something that I've mentioned somewhat anecdotally over the last few months is that 2023 was actually one of the slower years we've had, especially in recent history. Although keep in mind that we probably everyone had their best year ever in 2021 and into the first half of 2022. So if you're seeing a downturn from the tippy top, you're probably still ahead of where you were three or four years ago, right? theoretically. Um, hopefully it wasn't that big of a drop off, although from a few people, it sounds like it might have been. But another story for another day. But what we were considering is with this, you know, downturn in of tourism to Napa, are these travels kind of having an impact in terms of the grand scheme of our overall sales? And between the wholesale side of things, because apparently the same thing happened last year is that wholesale sales were down between restaurants and retail shops. There are a lot of places that weren't taking on new accounts. Uh, there are new suppliers in terms of new wineries and bringing new wines into the fold. Uh, there were certain places that were just ordering less because their burn rate was a little bit slower. Uh, for those that don't know, your burn rate is typically just how fast you're moving through you know, X amount of bottles or cases of wine per month. And on top of that, you have this really slow, like direct to consumer side of things where there's less visitors coming to Napa. And we largely reference the expense of hotels, the expense of just getting here. It was cheaper to fly to Europe than it was to fly to California for a lot of folks this last year. We also know that because of how busy we were two years ago, that it's probably just people dividing and conquering. They've been to Napa recently and they're like, hey, let's go do something else. 
you know, not everyone's going to come to Napa every single year. And since a lot of people got that kind of shook that out of their system in the last couple of years, they're like, all right, let's go do something else. You know, we still love Napa wines, but we got to travel, see other things too, which totally understand. It's how Brittany and I operate. Which brings me back actually to this trip out to Nashville because I had been out there a couple of times. Lovely city, amazing time. Uh, Brittany had never been there. So she, you know, night one, she probably went a little too hard down on Broadway. Uh, she got honked and she got tonked and it, you know, the next day was a little bit rough, uh, but we had an amazing time. But while we were out there, we met up with some amazing friends and clients. Uh, we did an event while we were out there, uh, with our wines and it was just, it was a way to, you know, get out in, in front of people because realistically we didn't have any tasting scheduled over this last weekend, which meant, okay, well, we can either sit here and hope we get a phone call or we can try and make something happen. And that's where a lot of these events kind of come into play on the road is you're going to be better off spending a little bit money to get out and go somewhere and have a real sales opportunity versus just sitting at home hoping that you get a tasting inquiry last minute or maybe an online order or whatever the case may be. So there's a lot of kind of factors that you're taking into account as you're getting these trips planned on top of just, hey, this is a cool city that we would love to hang out in in a few days. But hey, by the way, it's really slow at the winery right now. Why don't we try and, you know, put a couple things together while we're out here? And as my buddy and I were continuing down this conversation, because we all we both kind of agree with that method, you know, the methodology of like how we organize these events around the country, they're kind of the purpose of them, you know, why they're advantageous to us as, as small brands. And we'll get a little bit more into that as well. But is that starting to take away from what's happening, you know, a little bit on the wholesale side, but maybe even more so on the direct side? Because if we are traveling more and more and more, and we're going to be on the road more and more and more, then why are folks coming all the way out here? If the wine is going to make its way into their locale through some sort of event, then why do they need to come to us? And it was a really interesting thought that he had. And I'm not really sure I'm 100% on board. I can certainly see the perspective, but I also... It's hard to beat coming out here and seeing the vineyards, being in the caves, sitting down and tasting the wines at the winery. Like that's an experience that you just can't replicate around the country. You know, I have a leg up in the sense of being an owner and a winemaker that when I show up in a room, it's, it is kind of my show, right? I'm not some salesperson. I'm not some distributor. I'm the one doing all of the damn work, you know. I, if I showed up in work boots with purple hands, people would get a kick out of it. It's typically how I host tastings during harvest. Some of you have seen that, that I'm, I'm a little bit torn up, ridden hard, put away wet come, you know, September, October and into November like we had this last year. So there's a little bit of street cred there that I get that certain others do not because they're just they're the hired gun. They're the sales rep who's trying to, you know, move boxes of wine, basically. Doesn't mean they're any less passionate about that. Keep that in mind. You know, there are a lot of very talented people that care a lot about the wines that they sell. But it's just a different when when you have a winemaker in front of you. And I've seen this firsthand. It is a different vibe because I've worked in hospitality. I've had to be that hired gun for other people. And you get treated very differently when you're the hired gun versus being the winemaker. It's just that simple. It really, really is. And I think the, the main point, so that's really, I think, kind of where I do disagree with 
with my buddy is that, you know, yeah, I think that there's kind of this downtrend, which has happened before. You know, we've seen plenty of ebbs and flows in tourism when it comes to people coming out to Napa and visiting wineries and staying. But I don't think there's enough small brands traveling to have a major, major impact on the broad market trends. I'm sure it is something that you know, might affect that winery in particular where, hey, if you, someone's coming out to Napa and they just saw you out on the road, they might not come out to the winery. It's like, oh, we just saw you. We just bought some extra wine, you know, after that event. So, you know, we're good. We're going to go visit someplace else. I've had that happen before. Sure. But you still have folks coming out to Napa. And I think that this travel thing is we're still figuring it out because within, again, the last 10 years or so, it's we're still trying to see how this really fits into our business structures, how we utilize it as a revenue stream, and what the potential is is there, you know, for what the potential is for it down the road. To put that into kind of perspective, the same thing happened with hosting tastings at wineries in the late 90s and into the 2000s. I mean, many of you have probably experienced Napa in its, you know, current form where it's you show up, maybe you walk into a winery, more so now you're making appointments and really planning ahead. But you're sitting down, you're host, you're hosted, you know, through a guided tasting experience in a beautiful little space, or even at a tasting bar, whatever the case may be, and that's how you experience wineries these days. That was not the case for a long time. The vast majority of wine drinking history, that has not been the situation. I mean, if you travel abroad at all and you go wine tasting in in Europe, I mean, you know firsthand, like. Your guests are not, it's not like they're tolerated. You know, they're a little bit happier to see you than that. But at the same time, they're like, oh yeah, these are the wines. And they don't expect you to buy or leave with anything half the time. They're just like, oh, you want to buy wine? I mean, you can just buy it at like the local, sh- you want to buy it here? Okay. Uh, we literally had someone who was like, oh, I don't even have order form. I don't even know what these wines are priced at because I just sell them through mostly that wholesale channel. So I got to figure out how to even collect money from you people, um, which was pretty hilarious. Uh, But we figured it all out and made sure that, you know, we got some good wine, he got taken care of and all that jazz. So point being, you know, this is still a very new phenomenon, not just, you know, for us, but for the rest of the wine world. I think it's been very, very innovative in a very cool way to connect with people that we wouldn't otherwise connect with in terms of, you know, the wine drinking public, all of you out there um, supporting us. Because the, you know, really because the the wholesale game, you know, the retail shops, the restaurants, I mean, keep in mind, Costco sells more wine than any other retailer in the country, and it's not even close. Maybe, maybe there's another chain out there that does halfway decent, but Costco's where it's at. And I know some of you have had some Kirkland brand wines. They're not bad. They might not be great, depending on your opinion, but they're still slinging an immense amount of juice. You look at, you know, Total Wine, BevMo, you look, you know, at it like a Benny's up in, you know, the Chicago area, you look at a Specs or an HEB like down in Texas. Like these these big box kind of retail shops are where the vast majority of wine gets sold. Because even on the restaurant side of things, yeah, there's wine lists and wine by the glass. Uh, in states now like California where you can bring your own bottle to dinner, you have folks doing that more often than not. I mean, it's rare that we typically buy a wine off the list unless we buy a bottle of white wine or bubbles or something to kind of start the night or, or typically we lean on a cocktail or something, right? So things have really like shifted in terms of you know where wine is kind of being found except for this retail thing. 
you know, that really is still kind of like the driving force. And of course, that also means that certain price points work, right? Very typically, the higher you go in price point at those retail shops, the slower it moves. That burn rate we talked about, that slows down depending on the brand. If you're talking about your Silver Oaks and your Camuses and kind of those big name brands that have that clout, they probably still move at a pretty decent clip, right? That makes sense. But if you're going to be, let's say, a competitor to either one of those and in that same price point, you got some heavy lifting to do to start you know, supplanting them as like the lead, you know, skew. And skew is the, you know, I think everyone knows what that is, but sometimes people don't. We talk about, I always hated it because it makes wine seem so just, ugh, I don't know. But the skew is basically like the item number, right? So it's some, just some number that identifies, you know, the barcode basically of that wine. Uh, that way you can keep track of it in terms of like inventory and all these other things. It's basically just like a little code that we utilize as shorthand to know exactly what that wine is. Uh, anyway. Not that you needed to know that, but I said it and I was like, all right, I, pro I probably should explain this so people understand what I mean by SKU. Anyway, that's S-K-U. That's how we say it. Anyways, so if you're going to start supplanting some of those big guys, I mean, you're going to have to come, you're going to have to provide great quality, probably at a slightly better price. Because they, if they already love, let's say, a Camus or a Silver Oak, they're probably not going to move up that price chain unless it's something that is just outstanding. They might move down it a little bit easier. And you see this during kind of these, you know, uncertain economic times where people aren't necessarily trading up, they're trading down. They still want to buy that six pack of wine. Maybe they're not spending $30 a bottle anymore. They're going to spend closer to 20 or 25 because they want to, you know, everyone's going to pinch their pennies a little bit. No harm, no foul. That's just the way it is. Uh, we see this actually, uh, Brittany sees this with her rosé, is that rosé in particular is very price point sensitive. You need to hit very specific price points if you want to be successful in kind of the broad market rosé game because it is very competitive. It was in the you know largest growing segment of the wine industry for some time. There are a lot of people that have jumped on that bandwagon. You better be able to like line it up and knock it down and also have a great value in terms of your price point. So that can certainly be a thing. Now, since most people are kind of buying these wines, and I say most people, the vast majority of the wine drinking public, you know, probably buy wines through this retail outlet. You know, where do us small wineries fit into that, right? For those of us that don't have, you know, a retail, big retail presence, that's kind of the issue. Right. That's that's kind of what we've been trying to solve with this travel stuff. And I wanted to give you a little bit of a background on that retail side of things, because that is truly the driving force of wine sales. hundred percent. Unless you get like a really killer by the glass placement in a restaurant, like by the glass is where you want to be in a restaurant, because that means you're burning through that burn rate kicks up because people are ordering it frequently. The buy the bottle stuff moves a little bit slower because people aren't necessarily buying full bottles. I have a glass of this, maybe a glass of that, and then move on. Um, it's a little bit more, uh, it's just a little easier to sell a couple glasses of wine than maybe a whole bottle if it's a Tuesday night and people are like, yeah, we don't need to go on a bender this evening. You know what I mean? Although some of us consider going out, you know, it's a bottle minimum per person. So easy. We'll knock that out. That's, that's light work, right? But anyway, the this is kind of where, you know, we and other, I think, small brands have struggled is because you have these well-known brands that are kind of killing it in this retail game. And depending on who you ask, they might be of the quality that they want or not. 
And our goal as small producers is very typically to provide, you know, amazing wine at a great value. And value doesn't necessarily mean cheap for those of you that think I'm insinuating that. Value just means it's worth it to you. That this is of a good value. That hey, even at 60 bucks, this wine drinks like it's 120 bucks. That's a great value wine. If it's that good, that's a great value because you feel like you're getting a two for one deal with that. So even when you move up kind of that pricing structure, you can still find great value as long as the quality matches or is exceeds the price point. That's really the mentality that I take in any of my wines is that I want folks to experience amazing quality for great value. That even if the wines are maybe a little pricier than what you would normally spend, that it is easy to rationalize that purchase because the wine is just that good. That is truly my goal, is that you're getting the most bang for your buck with any of the wines that you purchase from us. And if not, you got a direct line to the winemaker to talk a little shop and say, hey, what's going on here? And what should my expectations be for the next club shipment or wine that we want to buy, whatever the case is. I'm always happy to talk shop with folks. And as we started you know, trying to make that kind of more personal connection with folks. Because this is the downside to that retail shop, right? Hopefully they got a great wine person there, like a steward or, you know, Psalm or somebody who's walking up and down the aisles. Because if you have a question, they can answer it. And hopefully they know what's on those shelves so they can speak very intelligently about it. Many places don't have that. So you're kind of left to your own devices of looking at this wall of wine in a retail shop. and like, well... That label's cute. I've had that before. Didn't like that. That one's always pretty good. Um, shoot. And you just, you, it, it's hard to sort out which way is up sometimes. For us, it's a little bit easier. Because if I'm sitting there in front of you and we're at a wine dinner, talking shop or at a tasting like we did out in Nashville just a couple nights ago, all of a sudden, you can ask those questions right then and there. And you know you got someone in front of you who's going to be able to answer them you know, full stop without any issue, as opposed to some salesperson who doesn't really know what they're talking about. They're just the wine person making sure the labels are straight on the shelf. So what we really wanted to do with this travel stuff is kind of build on that and say, hey, you know, we know you're going to have, you know, your local liquor store, wine shop, whatever that you want to support, where you're probably going to be buying the vast majority of your wines, or maybe you're already in wine clubs, and that's how you get a hold of some of these small producers that you can't necessarily find in your local shop. But let us extend another olive branch here and say, hey, let's give you a direct line to someone from that property, whether it's someone like me, like a winemaker, or if it's just a salesperson. In either case, there's going to be someone who has boots on the ground there who's going to pour you some wine, we're going to chat about it. We're going to have a great night. And hopefully this either introduces you to some new wines that you're going to love. Or maybe you're a big fan and you just need to restock, you know, for the holiday season or whatever. Or you got to buy some gifts for somebody or just stock up for yourself. Hey, be selfish. It's all right. Every once in a while, you know. And for me, to give you a little bit more perspective, I suppose, on kind of what this travel means is when I quit my day job, this would have been October 31st, 2018, 2018, because uh, on November 1st, I was doing my first two wine events 
actually, no, that's that's not true. I had done a couple of wine dinners before that in Kansas City. Um, so I kind of like dipped my toes into the water uh, with a couple of events. And I was had a couple more lined up. I quit my day job. And basically it was like, all right, I've got a few months rent saved up, which means I got a few months to make the next few months. That was totally the mentality of me leaving my day job. I was like, I don't know where the next paycheck's coming from. So let me have at least a couple of month buffer because if I need to get another job, I can. But let's hope we don't have to do that. And I had an event in St. Louis. Uh, shout out to Rick and Sean who put that together back in the day. Those guys literally are some one of the reasons why MTJ kind of has become what it is today. Uh, and then also Amy and Michael out in Tampa. Um, so I had these two events kind of back to back. And then I had three more events with this group of wineries that I was talking about right after that. So we were doing an event, I think in Tampa, it might've been like North Carolina or Atlanta, some kind of somewhere like Eastern seaboard ish. Right. And it was the first time that, you know, I hadn't really worked, you know, I'd really worked kind of this more direct kind of private tasting model, uh, not going through the traditional sales channels of your, you know, typical wine club or distributor, whatever the case is. And where we really started to find this amazing momentum and kind of potential for what this can do for small brands. Because in that week of being on the road, I had saved up enough to pay for my next bottling run and start preparing, in essence, for my barrel purchases uh, and then eventually harvest. Like It literally was like a windfall that came out of nowhere. You know, a lot of hard work went into it, but it was it was wild because I was not expecting that kind of success, you know, going out on my own within like the first week. You know, that was not going to be a thing. But the thing I learned over the course of that trip, and because it's true to this day, is that I'm still very close friends with a lot of those people, especially those that organize those events, but also with so many others that attended them who weren't familiar with our wines or who had heard about them or had them at one of their friends' places, and they came out to check out the event. And then in doing the events with the other wineries, same thing, that they're like, oh, yeah, we are not familiar with the wines, but we know you know this guy and this person at this winery, and there's a connection there, so we're excited to try them. And all of a sudden, you know, that kind of cross-pollination and rising tide, you know, raises all ships mentality really came to the forefront. And it allowed me to not, I was not at all comfortable, but was able to have a little bit less financial stress in terms of getting our business really to a sustainable point. Because at that stage, it still wasn't. Uh, there were still a lot of unpaid bills, a lot of debt and stuff that needed to be taken care of so that we could actually make a living at it. So it took a couple more years, but we got there. We got there. And that's really... This kind of, you know, weird connector of, of travel specifically, whether it's with the distribution side of things, because believe it or not, if you're if you're out with a distributor slinging wine with them, you sell more wine than them just doing it themselves. Because, again, you have the street cred and you've put in some time and effort to be there and people respect that that effort and you're going to sell more wine. If you go out on your own for private events, even, you know, these wine auction events, you're going to build these amazing connections with people that might last a lifetime. I mean, some of them actually have, you know, even though that was, gosh, six years ago now, it'll be six years this fall. But 
you start to build more of this like kind of what was like old school like grassroots marketing before viral marketing on the TikTok was a thing where if you if people got to know you and you were on a first name basis whether you text call email whatever the case is but you're able to now keep in touch with these people directly and you build instead of instead of you just being a client and just a sales avenue for that business now you're a friend and that means the world to small businesses it's why so many of us it doesn't even matter what industry you're in but whether it's wine i don't care if you're the local hardware store whatever you get to know the people that are your regulars your clients your your best clients and all of a sudden you're on a first name basis with them you know how their kids are doing they're sending you photos of, you know their graduation photos they're sending you christmas cards or whatever and all of a sudden you've really started to build real connections with folks and that is where i mean that is the beautiful thing about doing this travel stuff in that even though you're on vacation like Brittany and i were this last week you have you meet up with clients who met at who we met at one of these great tastings that was hosted out in that area and this would have been almost a year and a half ago now uh, but they hit us up and said hey we're around let's grab a drink and we we did just that and they were outstanding super super folks so nice it was so good, good to hang out with them and then the following night uh or actually maybe it was two nights later whatever the case is you know we had a, another friend of ours i had met actually on that same trip about a year and a half ago he was like hey come on in i'm gonna set you up with the beverage director of this club come on in hang out do your thing and hopefully you know hopefully they'll snag some wine or you at least get to meet some people who enjoy wine as well and that travel to napa and you know someone who's like a real business like connector you know which we can't which we just appreciate so much because we don't have the marketing clout we're we're not out in store shelves we're not you know these these high powered you know brands that are growing like crazy you know you look at like what the prisoner did back in the day um that's or Naomi did or whatever like the, like we're just not that we're not making that scale of wine that's a lot of volume you got to do to be able to be that around the country and that's not where we want to play as a business so how do we get that you know that recognition and you typically have to focus on a smaller scale a very tight knit group of people and you need to make sure that you're friends with them basically so as my buddy and I were kind of debating whether or not this travel thing is like kind of eating away at other sales channels. I think sure there's a little bit of cannibalism there, but at the same time, you know, very similar to these two events that we did and the folks we hung out with over the last week, you know, I hadn't seen them or, you know, really talked to them too much, you know, except for here and there, um for like club shipments and other things. Uh but this was an opportunity to be like, "Hey, you've been a great club member for a little over a year and a half." Yes, we'll absolutely come out. We'll have some fun with your friends and drink some wine and, you know, shake hands, kiss babies and just, you know, do what we do, which which is what wine is all about in the first place. It's about getting together and just enjoying and celebrating life and having a good time and sharing stories and connecting with people. You know, the last thing I want to do anytime I'm hosting a tasting or, you know, entertaining a group of folks is be a used car salesman. I want you to know the stories. I want you to get to know me. I want you to understand what it takes to actually go from grape to bottle and the trials and tribulations of being in this 
beautiful industry because it is it's very shiny and pretty on the outside but the inside it is greasy grimy and you gotta really work to earn it and take a long time to do it at that so even though i think i don't know if my buddy and i disagree on whether or not this event thing and kind of what we're doing out on the road is uh you know, having a negative impact because I think, you know, for someone like us and even for the brand he works for, I think it does nothing but good things. But at a certain point, you do, you might have to look at it a little bit like a marketing expense where you might not sell quite as much as you want, but now you have a whole new group of friends that are, you know, if they're planning a trip to Napa, they're probably going to hit you up. Hopefully they do anyway. Uh, if they're looking for wine to give as gifts or just purchase for themselves, maybe down down the road, that you can take care of that for them as well. You know, it's all about kind of planting those seeds and cultivating them and using, you know, what is this kind of grassroots style, in my opinion, of viral marketing, you know, pre-internet of getting to know your people, you know, versus just liking a photo that looks pretty. Uh, that means the world. So this travel side of things is, it's an immense amount of fun. It is a lot of work. I know so many of you probably, if you follow us on like Instagram, especially if you saw some of my photos from the last few days, are like, man, they're just whining and dining and partying. And yes, some of that does happen. Keep in mind this last trip, even though there was work involved, it was supposed to be our vacation as well. Uh, so there was a lot of just letting loose, which was great. But it is, it is a lot of work. It's, it's hard to be on and in front of people all the time and talk and shop and answering questions. We love it. Uh, we can't thank folks enough for coming out and supporting us, you know, when we're out on the road. Uh, but man, when we get home to the hotel room, it's just like, yep, we're laying down. I'm listening to some music. I don't want to talk to anybody. I don't want to see anybody. I'm just tired. It takes it out of you. It really does. And it's not that we don't appreciate it. We love doing it. It's a blast. But it is work. It is a job after all. So there is a lot of, you know, we always post the pretty photos and the fun that we're having, so folks can kind of live vicariously through what we got going on, especially when we're on the road. But uh, that is very much a, you know, the tip of the iceberg in terms of everything that goes into it. So I think that's where I'll leave for today. It's it's an interesting life, kind of the road warrior thing. And it's something that, you know, we've done more and more over the years. We have a hell of a travel schedule uh, coming up this year. Uh, basically, through the whole second quarter, we are just hustling, hustling, hustling. Uh, one flight after a next, one trip after a next, after the next, which is going to be, it's going to be great. It's going to be a lot of fun, a lot of work. Uh, very excited to see a lot of you out on the road during some of these trips as well. Um, it's going to be a good time. I hope that provided a little perspective because it's. I think it is a little easy to get. You know, you see the the bright shiny events and the good times and the wine being open, everyone just laughing and carrying on. But it is it is a lot of work, and it is very very. I can't tell you how meaningful it is to the small wineries that come out who don't have that retail presence or that restaurant presence because they're just not big name brands, right? And to be able to travel around the country and do things like this every once in a while. Uh, really, I mean, it helps keep us afloat, uh, plain and simple. Uh, we would not be able to do what we do if it weren't for this new avenue, um, even though it's still, you know, kind of in its infancy of how I think it's going to really impact, you know, certain wineries and, and how they operate. Um, it's something that is going to be, 
if you can harness it the right way, very, very impactful for, for many small businesses. So um, I hope that it's something that you all get to take advantage of in some way, shape or form, whether it's uh, local charity events where wineries are pouring or whether it's organizing your own events or attending other events around the country. Uh, if you don't get to make it out to a place like Napa regularly or whatever the case may be, it's a great way to still go out and support some brands uh, that might not be able to get your support otherwise. So keep your head on a swivel and keep an eye out for those. Uh, thank you all so much for tuning in. I hope that you are all, man, it is the second week of January already. This month is already going by two, five, going brain fart. It was bound to happen at one point. I'm so tired after this trip. It was so much fun. But man, that was a lot of honking, a lot of tonking down in Nashville. That Broadway will get you. Although I heard more alternative music on Broadway than I did country, which was a little strange. Although we were probably at the wrong honky tonk. I don't know. Anyway, it was still a lot of fun either way. Uh, thank you all so, so much for tuning in. Uh, it is a blast to be doing this. I'm excited to try. I'm, we will. I'm hoping I still got to iron out our schedule a little bit in terms of recording. I'm hoping that we'll have our first guest on the podcast next week. If not, I'm going to try and do it probably the first show of February. It's either going to be next week or the first show in February. We'll sort it out. Uh, that way we can, you know, really see what, what it's all about. Because let me... Yeah, so either the 18th next week. Or sorry, 17th next week. Ooh, actually, we have a five Wednesday January. We get a bonus episode this January. So it'll either be uh, the 17th or the 31st. Uh, we'll try and have our first guest on the show and get after it. Super excited. Super excited for that. It's going to be a good time. So uh, again, thank you all so much for tuning in. I think I've said that like four times already, uh, but I can't say it enough because it is just, this is such a blast to be able to do. Be sure to like, subscribe, share it with your wine loving friends. Uh, the shares actually really go a long way as well as the likes uh, and subscriptions and stuff uh, in terms of making the podcast a little bit easier for people to find. So if you have a second uh, to go on, uh, shoot, any of our social networks, YouTube, uh, Instagram, Book of Face, the one formerly known as Twitter, any one of those. I should also mention that if you can write a review, uh, I think you can do that through Apple Podcasts, even Spotify potentially. Uh, if you have a quick second to write a review and just post that on there, it would be immensely helpful and I'd be very, very eternally grateful for it. Have an amazing rest of the day. We will catch you next time.